Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter, looking at Revelation chapter 10. Revelation, such an interesting book, such a confusing and scary book for a lot of people, uh, but a lot of good things for us. Revelation chapter 10 here, we have seen now the first six trumpets, and we, we saw last time those last two, uh, five and six, uh, pretty pretty dark in some ways, uh, but maybe actually something akin to the darkness of Passover, where God is accomplishing salvation for his people in the midst of those things. We've got here in Revelation chapter 10, um, this it's an interlude. We don't get the seventh trumpet blast. We have to wait two whole chapters till we get that. So what's going on here? Why, why do we have to wait before the seventh one comes? Uh, there's this an, another angel, like there's been so many, uh, comes down, there's a little scroll. Now, what is this a different angel? Is this a different scroll? What, you know, so there's a couple of questions we got to ask here. So a short chapter, only 11 verses. Um, but this will, I think, be a good moment for us to kind of stop and kind of uh, just kind of gather ourselves and say, okay, okay, hang on a second. Let's make sure we understand everything that we've seen so far. Joining us today, we've got Pastor Mark Burkholz, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. Brother, good to have you back with us on Thy Strong Word. Uh, I think the last time was back in Joshua. So, uh, brother, how, how are you doing? How are the people in Oaklawn? It's good to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me back. Yeah, everybody's hanging in here. Uh, same situation is pretty much everywhere in the country right now. We had a little bit of snow this morning uh, for an uh, April surprise, but otherwise we're we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, like you, like you said, just kind of all over the country is kind of hanging in, and uh, you know, it's it's for that reason as as we're all you know gathered um, around God's word, listening to the word here. These uh these things in Revelation seem to just they just read differently in times like these, don't they? They, they certainly do. You know, we, we hear about all the the predictions of things that are going to come to pass, and we read about how God said that these sort of things would, would come about. They're reminders that uh, God is actually in control of all these things in the midst of our chaos and our troubled situations, that these are things that God knows about, that we're in his hands, and uh, these should remind us that Jesus is coming uh, and that he will bring everything to a conclusion uh, according to his gracious plan. Amen, amen. All right, well, as we get started on the text, then, would you say a prayer for us and for all our listeners and for the brothers and sisters everywhere? Certainly. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to strengthen and to sustain us in these difficult times. We pray that as you had promised, your Holy Spirit will be at work here among us as we uh, listen to what you would have to say to, to us and to your whole church. Uh, bless those who are disconnected from friends and families, from their church, from their congregation at these times. Uh, help us to turn to you in prayer, to look to you as a source of, of hope and guidance. Uh, bless those who are recovering from illness and uh, struggling in, in different ways that uh, through this, this time together in your holy word, we may be filled with, with your hope uh, and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's turn to the text. We've got Revelation chapter 10. It is only 11 verses, so I think we can kind of break it down a little bit here. So let's just take the first couple here. You know, he has this other, another one of these you know, sights, right? Um, it's not right. necessarily not necessarily different visions, but like he does use this um, to say. Then there's another thing. So here, here's the next thing here. Revelation chapter ten, verse one. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. All right, let's just pause right there uh, for right now before we get to um, when, he, when he calls out and what he says. Uh, but but this is uh, this is interesting. I mean, he, we've we've seen a number of angels. I, I've I think I've lost track already. Um, <laughs> there were um, angels with with trumpets. There were the seven angels of the seven church. 
about that. Like, are those the same groups of angels um, or, or are they different groups of angels? Right. Um, so we've kind of had a lot of angels so far. And, and this one seems pretty unique, too. What, what, are, what are your thoughts when you, you have this description here with the, the cloud, the rainbow, the sun and the rest? Sure. Yeah. The, the first thing it says is, uh, okay, this is another mighty angel. The, the first term, first time we heard about a, a mighty angel, I believe, was back in chapter 5, uh, where we have the mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who's worthy to open the scrolls and, and break its seals. So yeah. the, the, the picture here is of, of a strong, uh, mighty angel. It's not like there's probably wimpy yeah. angels around, but uh, <laughs> one of the things that's noteworthy about this angel is, is its, its strength and its power. Uh, yeah. We'll talk a, about kind of the identity, I would guess, as we go along here. But just, just looking at the description that, that's here, uh, he's, he's coming down from heaven. So the picture is uh, John is down on earth. The angel is coming down to him. Uh, he's wrapped in a cloud. So that's the cloud is always connected with uh, God's presence. Uh, all the way back to the Old Testament, we have the uh, pillar of cloud leading the Israelites and the, the cloud that fills the tabernacle. Uh, the cloud is the presence of God in Ezekiel as it leaves the temple. Uh, we have the, the cloud in the New Testament there at Jesus' baptism, at uh, the transfiguration that enveloped him. Uh, Jesus then, when he ascends, is uh, covered in the clouds. And then you have the picture of Jesus returning with the clouds. This is predicted back in Daniel 7, where there's the one like a son of man coming with the clouds. Uh, when Jesus is on trial, he tells uh, the high priest, you will see the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, so the, the cloud is, is connected to the, the presence of God, the idea that uh, mankind can't view him directly. So it's a way of veiling his presence and uh, providing safety for those who are observing him. But it, it's generally connected with uh, the, the, the presence of, of God Almighty. So right. we have the, the yeah, no, I, I, here. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, was going to say, right. I think that that's helpful to, for us to recall that. And, you know, just as you were saying, whether it's, you know, the the prophecy in, in Daniel, right, that we that we looked at not too long ago, even that the Lord seems to allude to in his trial, as you were mentioning, or transfiguration, or, you know, even uh, you think back when you had the Exodus, right, the cloud that comes and intervenes between the people of Israel and the, the, the armies of Egypt, right. That uh, keeps, right. keeps it, the two groups separated and uh, seems to cast darkness on the Egyptians while uh, providing light for the people of Israel. Right. So, I mean, you see this again and again and again, associated with God's presence, but um, yeah, there's these other features too, which are, are, I think are kind of unusual. I mean, uh, the pillars of fire, but then the rainbow, right. I'm just trying to think about that. Like, where else do you see, um, you know, like a rainbow, like over, over someone's head or, I mean, it's like the only thing you really think of readily is, is um, like Noah and the flood. Right. Yeah. And there was the rainbow around the throne back in chapter five, the, the emerald rainbow. Uh, so some right. commentators just basically kind of connect that with uh, being commissioned by God kind of bringing the presence of, of God and his, his authority down to earth would be one one option. Uh, uh, there are, again, some of the commentators connect this to the, the Greek, one of the Greek messenger goddesses who was actually Iris. Um, when they saw mm -hmm. a, a, a rainbow in the sky, they thought, okay, here's a message from God coming down. Right. Uh, but I, I think you know, the, the closest reference here is, is going to be in chapter 5 with uh, the, the rainbow. And then, as you probably, probably talked about in the, the Greek way of thinking, the rainbow is more like a halo. It goes all the way around like a complete circle. If you think of the iris of your eye, that's the Greek word for right. rainbow is iris. And so uh, it's, it's almost like a, uh, showing the, the presence and the, the glory of God is coming down with this angel. Yeah, well, that, actually, we didn't have a chance to talk really about the, the rainbow. That was that was back in um, that was back in chapter four, and so when we were looking oh, yeah. at that, that was like four three. Well, we we spent a lot of time looking at you know the um you know the uh, the the holy 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 right the sanctus, um and, and some of the kind of liturgical connections. We talked about the four living creatures, the animals, but we we kind of went right over the rainbow part. So that's that's helpful to kind of think about that. It's like a as like a circle, as like a halo, right? And you think, um, of course, just in in Christian iconography, right? Like how there's always these halos 
right, around, around especially the Lord Jesus in particular, but also people and figures that are closely associated with him. So, yeah, I think all those things together, they help us see that this angel, whoever he is, right, is, um, is very closely connected to the Lord Jesus and the presence of God. Um, and as you said, I think maybe the most helpful thing so far is that the, just the description, as you said, of mighty angel, that takes us back to Revelation chapter 5, um, where you did have this mighty angel who was again connected to a scroll. And so the one back in 5, you had the scroll that was like sealed all over, right? And the question was, who was going to be worthy to open this this uh, this sealed scroll? And here in 10, you've got a mighty angel, but the, this one time he's holding the scroll and it's already open. So, I mean, I mean, all those things kind of already help us a lot, I think, prepare us for what, what he's about to say. So sure. l- let's go ahead then and now consider what he actually says um, when he when he shows up here. So we just read through, um, I think, I think, what was it? We just, uh, first two. So, yeah. all right. So then here he is here. So he, he said his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Okay. So a couple of things going on there. I mean, a couple of things that are being heard, right? You've got, um, you've got not just this this angel um, speaking, and and it's interesting because you don't actually get like the the quote from the angel, right? It just says he he, he swore. He, he, I mean, he swore, right? He swears. That's what it says in, in verse six, um, and says you know that there's no more delay effectively, but you don't get any like you know quotation marks there. The quotation marks you do get. Um, are from a, a voice from heaven talking about what the seven thunders said. So there's kind of three different things that have uh, spoken here in this little part, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot going on and a lot that that's not clear. It's it's kind of confusing that John would report hearing these things, but he can't tell us what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, but then the the, the voice. Uh, the voice here is kind of the most important thing that that's really controlling the the scene that that's going right. to you know, speak again in, in, near the end. Um, but the, the the main point is that uh, we're moving forward towards the end. What what God has spoken by the prophets, this mystery is going to come to pass very quickly. We're moving to the to the end where everything is going to uh, to be to be revealed and fulfilled and and come to pass as God has already spoken through the prophets. Right. Well, what do you suppose, you know, I, I, I think that you're right, especially since the only thing that gets like quotation marks here is the voice from heaven. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, our, it, it's the attention just goes right there um, appropriately. But what do you suppose the function is of these the seven thunders or that, that they would be speaking or that there's seven of them? I mean, of course, it seems like, you know, there's seven of everything, but, uh, but I mean, particularly seven thunders, that's a little bit of a unique expression, I think, in Scripture. It is. It's almost as though uh, John expects you to know what he's talking about, but there's not any other references to it. Yeah. Uh, it's probably somehow connected to the voice of God. Uh several points in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 29 talks about the voice of God being like thunder. Uh, when Jesus uh, speaks in, back in chapter 1, his voice is like the sound of you know, many rushing waters. Uh, the, this picture of kind of loud, powerful voice is, is generally connected to, to God. Uh, you know, God's voice is with his spirit. There, uh, John sometimes talks about the seven spirits of God rather than just you know, right. the whole Spirit, but kind of the, the sevenfold spirit. So, uh, my again sanctified guess would be that it has, has something to do with you know, God's voice, either directly or indirectly, uh, 
because everything here that, that that's speaking is either on God's behalf or or God Himself speaking. So uh, right. it's somehow connected to to the voice of God, but where exactly that that fits in is is difficult to say. Right. Yeah. No. It, it, I mean, it is, and I think that's that's probably why at least you've got. I mean, at least uh, one variant. Um, and th- that where where it's just omitted, right? <laughs> where, where I think somebody was was like, "Hang on, what? Seven thunder? That doesn't sound right." Um, but yeah, but most most manuscripts though do include this, right? And so it, yeah. it's it's very likely that this is uh, the correct reading. Uh, that there really are uh, these seven thunders. But you're right; it almost it almost feels like John's just sort of like you know the seven thunders, you know, like like you know. Uh, but, but but here we are, just kind of like um, John. What 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 exactly did you have in mind? You know, like this this is one of those moments where you like you feel you kind of nervously kind of smile and nod, like you think like yeah yeah I know what you're talking. No, I, I don't really know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think what you're saying is as good and sanctified as a guess as any other. Um, you, you do have that sevenfold um, talk, um, and I think that we've seen that in the Old Testament as well. Um, you know, just the idea, I think, from Zechariah that there's like the seven spirits of God. We, we saw that kind of quoted earlier in Revelation, and we're going to see right. more of Zechariah come up again. Um, but so that idea of the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, um, which yeah. maybe are also the seven thunders. Um, so those all might be kind of whether you think of, um, you know, them as eyes or, or, or thunders or whatever else. Those might be kind of poetic ways of talking about God's spirit, basically. And I think that's, I, I think that's kind of the most you can kind of speculate, it seems. Yeah, that, 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 that's about as much as I can make out of it. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you, you've got, um, you know, this, the, the seven thunders, the voice of, let's, let's just say it's the voice of God, um, right, speaking in, in a certain manner. But then this voice from heaven then um, says, hey, you, you can't write that down, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think that that really, as you already said it, you know, what, what's, the, what's the function of that? You know, like, why would, why would John even tell us that, that something has been spoken here from God, um, but that, that he's not supposed to write it down, that, that, that this is actually secret knowledge in some sense, you know, why, why would he even bother telling us that, that it's there? It's my, my only thing, again, kind of interpretation or guess here is that it, it builds on the, the mystery and the glory of God, uh, that there are things that, that he says that are still hidden and concealed from us, that we don't have the full counsel of God as far as being able to always completely understand and, and know his mind at all times. Uh, you know, the, the voice here, it's pretty clear that it's just not, not another angel, but it is something similar that will happen in Revelation 18, where, again, it's clearly God speaking about his people. Uh, and some of the commentators think, well, it's just too too wonderful, it's too heavenly for us to be able to conceive of or to imagine. Uh, but I think it just helps bring out the fact that we are, in our in our humanity, in our uh uh, our createdness. There are certain certain things that we just aren't given to know quite yet, uh, but it's still in in God's God's control. It's under His His guidance and His direction, even if we don't know everything and have all the answers all the time. Right. Well, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. It certainly you know functions in that way. That there's just just the fact that you know God's voice is thundering, um, you know, and. and and we, in some ways, just, you know, can't understand it to the, you know, his ways are greater than ours. All those things cer- certainly function in just that kind of general kind of way of pointing to his majesty and his transcendence, um, you know, his infinite wisdom. Um, but, yeah, it is it is interesting to consider, you know, just in particular, what what he's kind of trying to get at, maybe, with, with saying, like, hey, there's something something being said, but I'm not writing it down, you know, like, uh, one of the things you, you kind of wonder about is when, you know, especially in a context like revelation, where it says letter, a letter to the churches, to what extent is he saying like, well, you guys maybe kind of already know what could be spoken of here, but I'm just not going to write it down. It, you know, not, not at least in a letter, you know, 
So it's, right. I, but we can come back to that, I think, in a yeah, little bit. Sure. Uh, but let, let's go ahead and keep keep pressing on. Um, okay. uh, but before we pick up verse eight, um, there there was there was kind of one one more thing, kind of about this whole picture. It seems like the the, the picture of the land and the sea seems right. very deliberate here, right? Like you've got um, the the name of God is is presented here as uh, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, right? And this angel yeah. is standing with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. What, what do you suppose this land and sea thing is here? Because we, we've kind of seen this a little bit before, but it seems very intentional in this spot. You're right. Yeah, there's there's a couple ways to, to think about it. One way would just to be thinking about this in terms of totality, uh, land and sea, and then if you include the, the heavens there in verse 6, that uh, God has authority over all, God is present in all places, this message is for everyone everywhere. We'll, we'll kind of get there at the very end of the chapter, so that, that's one way to look at it. Uh, with, with the sea specifically, the sea was often a, a place of chaos. Uh, it was associated almost with, uh, with death and evil, uh, so that it could be a source of comfort to know that uh, God and his angels and uh, it, it's including even the, the, the realm of, uh, of, of chaos and uh, the, the place that, that might be a source of, of fear and, and worry and dread. Even the word of God holds sway there too. Right. Well, and, and we've, we've kind of seen a little bit of that already just with earlier on, there was this, you know, apparently, they say it's like a, a, a sea of glass, right? Like the, the, the verses there earlier before the throne, this idea that, you know, God is just, he's taking all the chaos, right? And he's, he's bringing it to order, not unlike what we saw, you know, in Genesis chapter one, where, you know, you got this, sure. this, this wind, this spirit that's going over the waters, you know, I mean, some kind of like watery chaos, right? But God brings it all to order. So, I mean, this, yeah, I, th I think that that kind of theme you see kind of present here. Interesting to consider what kind of connection, what's what's coming, what the seventh trumpet might have to do with the sea in particular. I'm going to hold that thought, though. Everybody, hang on. We're looking at Revelation chapter 10 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 26th. Seventh. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Websites selling binary options claim they are low-cost, high-reward investments. What they don't tell you is that binary options are high-risk bets where the odds are stacked against you, that withdrawing money is often almost impossible, and the representatives will contact you with intense sales tactics or even threats. Protect yourself. Don't let anyone pressure you into making investments or quick decisions. Visit MissouriProtectsInvestors.com to learn more. Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State's Investor Education and Protection Fund. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 10, and we're joined today 
by our guest, Pastor Mark Burkholtz, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. If you have a question for us, because, you know, there's certainly lots of opportunity for questions looking at the book of Revelation uh, for me or for Pastor Burkholtz here, give us a call if you're listening live. You can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, check out their website if you haven't already. They've uh, got some new content on there the last couple of weeks, lhfmissions.org our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. So we're taking a look here at Revelation 10, and we we were just, you know, kind of talking about this first chunk in verses 1 through 7, and just noticing here how the description of the, the sea seems very um, deliberate and, and prominent here, kind of just talking about how in general um, it, it's it's been a big theme in Revelation, this... Um, this kind of taming of the sea or, or even in the last chapter, right? We actually, just in the previous chapter, we, we saw the abyss, right? Um, you know, the, the, the deep, you know, pit of the sea or something like this. Um, and, you know, there was this angel who opened it up. Um, and then these, uh, this, this like locust army comes out um, to, to do God's will and to torment those who are not sealed for a short time. So, kind of just even as recently as the last chapter, actually, we've seen this kind of teeming of the sea idea, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll we'll later get to the, the beast coming out of the sea. I don't want to jump too far ahead of things, but the, we'll, this will kind of tie in when you get to chapters 13 and following where you have uh, the beast from the sea, the beast from the land, and then uh, making war against against the lamb as we move towards the, the culmination of the book. Right, right. That's right. So, you know, even and speaking of, you know, uh, you know, taming, right? That's like very appropriate, right? In in chapter thirteen, as you were mentioning, you have actually beasts, including one um, from the sea, who needs to be tamed. And uh, it seems like chapter thirteen does kind of parallel this. You, know, you got the angel here who's standing, right, on one foot on the sea, one foot uh, on the land, and then thirteen, you've got you know, beast from the sea, beast from the land. So. Uh, this is, it seems to be like setting something up kind of, uh, again and again. Um, but you know, of course we, um, we already, we already kind of know where this is all going already. Um, I mean, I think we're, we're I'm trying to remember where that, uh, that comment is, you know, it's, uh, it's not unfamiliar to a lot of people in revelation chapter uh, 21. So at the very end, finally, the comment that you get is that, uh, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So uh, th this whole book is kind of progressing towards this, this, this kind of ultimate teeming of the sea or even, I, I mean, like uh, undoing of the sea, right? But I mean, so throughout it, it's just, um, you know, chaos is going to come more and more um, just, I, I guess, under the submission um, to the Lamb. Right, and you could you could even look at kind of Jesus taming the the wind and the waves, walking across the sea, yeah. showing his his authority there in, in the Gospels as well. Right, right. All right. Well, so let's get back into the text here. So, okay, so it's it's saying that there's going to be no more delay. Um, the seventh the seventh trumpet call is coming soon. Of course, uh, <laughs> we have one more uh, like chunk of a chapter here. Um, the first half of eleven is going to come before we actually get that seventh uh, trumpet call. So uh, right. it, it's coming soon, but there's there's still this interlude here. Uh, but let's continue the interlude that we have here in 10. And we got verses 8 to 11. And you've got this, this there's this one more thing here that shows up that's, that's pretty interesting. But I, I think we can make more sense of this coming up than, than maybe some of the things so far. So here is right. verse, uh, verse 8 uh, through 11. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it, 
it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So uh, it looks like we finally know why the scroll was little, because uh, right. <laughs> it had to, had to fit in John's mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> which you know, okay, okay, that makes sense, right? Yeah, little scroll. It's it's like you know, bite size, right? Um, but uh, yeah, eating a scroll. This this seems uh, pretty weird, but. Um, the, the, the nice thing is like, actually, unlike the, the seven thunders, which you just kind of are left with, like, uh, I, I don't know where else, what, what else are we to make of that? Right. Um, right. The, the idea of eating a scroll is not unique to this part of scripture, right? Right. Yeah. So in Ezekiel three is, is probably the, the closest parallel here, uh, to a, a prophet eating a scroll. And it's, it's very, very similar. So yeah, in Ezekiel three, uh, He's told to, uh, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your hum stomach with it, that I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So a very similar picture here of a, a prophet who's given this scroll to eat and even that connection with being sweet as honey. The, the bitter part here in Ezekiel 3 doesn't come till near the end in chapter 14 where he talks about uh, feeling a, a bitterness in his spirit when he has to uh, leave and depart to be with the exiles. So it's not an exact parallel, but it, it's close enough to a very similar account with what's going on with Ezekiel and what, what John is experiencing here in Revelation 10. Right. Uh, and that's and I think that connecting it to Ezekiel is very illuminating. Um, I mean, I mean, truthfully, actually extremely so for a huge part of the book of Revelation, because we got it. And you already mentioned one of the key words here. So what, what's going on in the book of Ezekiel, right? I mean, so, I mean, Ezekiel, you know, this is, uh, it's all about, it's all about the temple. It's all about um, the exile. Um, right. It's about the destruction of the temple. And, you know, this, this is this interesting thing. I mean, you, you mentioned here, right, um, the, the bitterness comes because he is going to be with the exiles there's a bitterness that's associated with um leaving jerusalem right and and that i think is a really interesting connection if we press it a little bit um to to what what john might be getting at if he's talking about the destruct well p potentially anyway the, the temple um exile and destruction of the temple what what he could be getting at in this context yeah, and you'll, you'll get into the temple when you get into chapter 11 as well. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, Ezekiel is, is experiencing this bitterness and because, you know, he's living through God's punishment on his people. I mean, God is, is just in, in what he's doing, but it's, it's not a, uh, it's still a bitter experience for him, him to go through. And you know, similarly, John is, he's going through God's judgment at this time and, uh, it's not a it's not a pleasant message to have to take or to to experience this this, this isolation this this, this um, uh, these difficult times of, of persecution that that are going on, um, but it's it still has to take place before we we reach the end of the book. Right. Well, and, and certainly you know um, there's been a lot of talk of persecution right in in the book of Revelation already in those letters to the seven churches. Um, you know, persecution came up a couple of times at, you know, at the hands of different sources, really. Um, so, you know, that idea of God's people being oppressed um, by by the Gentiles, by the powers that be, that's that's something that we've already seen in, in Revelation. Um, but as you said, we are actually going to get something um, even specifically about the temple, in fact, in the next chapter, when when you have this um, you know, and we get more of our, you know, fun numbers going on, um, right. where they're going to say that, uh, there's going to be this, there's something going on about the court outside the temple being given over to the nations who trample it for 42 months, um, you know, and, or, you know, 1260 days, just because 
you know, let's do some math, right? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, like, so there, there is this kind of specific temple stuff. Um, and, and what's, what's really been interesting, you know, for, for, for me has been, I was, I was spending some time looking over our previous chapter, chapter nine, um, where we had those, those two woes, the fifth and the sixth, those two, uh, uh, the fifth and sixth trumpet blasts. And uh, I was I was reading over some of this stuff in connection with church history, and a pretty interesting parallel um, emerged when I was looking at that. It's some stuff I'd never really considered before. Um, but that that's particularly the the history of the church right around the time of the destruction of the temple in AD seventy. So not not the destruction of the temple that Ezekiel. Um, lived through. I mean, though, though well, he was in exile at the time, so he wasn't there when it was destroyed in 586 BC. But we're talking about the destruction of this, you know, rebuilt temple in AD 70. That, there's a really interesting story of the of the Christian Church that we have recorded um, through uh, historians, like I mean, I mean, even partially like uh, non-Christian historians, like Josephus. Uh, but also uh, Christian historians like um, Epiphanius or um, I think there's like a, a couple others that at least one other that like that, that talk about some of this stuff here. But it's um, it's interesting to consider perhaps like what the church was going through, because that was a, a pretty big event in the life of Christianity too, the destruction of the temple. Right. Oh, yeah. It's. Uh, um one, on the one hand, it, it brought to uh, fulfillment a lot of Jesus' words that he spoke right before his own death, that you know, this is going to happen. But uh, at the same time, uh, to kind of witness and to experience that, um, kind of the, the ending of the old, uh, the old Old Testament system uh, and all of the, the death and destruction in that area, uh, really affected them for you know for hundreds of years until kind of some of that was 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 uh, was worked its way out. Right, um, and, and it really it, you know kind of so to your to your point right there's kind of a tension I think um, about the destruction of the temple because on the one hand it's sort of like vindication for the Christians right because we 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 see the temple be destroyed and we say well hey look that's exactly what our Lord Jesus said was, was going to happen right. Um, right. So on the one hand, it, it's sort of um, I don't I don't know. You, you almost look back on the temple as as a positive, um, being just, the temple being destroyed as a positive in the sense that it's it's a, the will of God, it's His righteous judgment, it's what our Lord said was going to happen, right? Um, on the other hand, as, as you were saying though, I mean it was it was a disaster. I mean it was you know God's temple, right? Let's not forget whose temple it was. This wasn't the temple of Artemis or Mars or. Uh, Zeus or anyone else, and it was God's temple that was um, destroyed and mocked, and, and you had, um, you, you know, the uh, the Roman general came in and they took out the bread of presence and uh, the menorah that was there near it, and they paraded around the streets, you know, mocking God's name. So, uh, on the other hand, I mean, that it was it was a total disaster, and it was, I mean, just just a horrible thing. So, um. I wonder if there is something about that that is uh, sweet and also bitter, you might say. You know, it, it's sure. interesting to consider that. And you you could kind of look at that. I mean, I, I would probably take, you know, the, the scroll here as being a little bit more than just the destruction of Jerusalem, but that would be a good example of uh, how this, this message is played out in the world where there are certain things that are, are pronounced and spoken that are, uh, sweet and, and comforting to to Christians, but it's uh, there's there's the bitter edge to it too, as you uh, experience and see the judgment of God coming to the, these various people and places that uh, He's spoken as is, is going to come to pass. Right. Yeah. No. Certainly, it's something that um, is is a pattern, right? That that is larger than just you know uh, any particular episode. Um, you know, I think that one of the, uh, I mean, just e even even today, right, in some ways, people have talked about how, you know, we can relate to the exiles. And when we were going through Daniel, I think we saw this a lot. You looked at stories like, um, you know, Daniel and the lion's den or his three friends in the fiery furnace, uh, which many of us just heard uh, read again this, this past week um, when we had Easter Vigil. 
you know, there's these moments where you kind of look at that and you're like, yeah, maybe that's not too unlike what the church is going through today in some ways that we kind of feel uh, almost like exiles living in the midst of Babylon sometimes. Right. And so uh, these are themes that seem to kind of uh, crop up again and again, um, you know, in, in some ways, even just a live theme during the, the ministry of our Lord Jesus, when uh, the people in many ways felt like maybe, you know, yeah, they were in their own land, but it was occupied territory. They were really living in Rome's jurisdiction. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a broad theme. I, I agree with your point there. Um, I, I want to I share, though, something really kind of specific, though, that, that came up that, that was pretty interesting. Um, if you kind of look at this, this, this question of what happened to the Christians right around the time of the destruction of the temple, um, we, we have related to us something, um, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting here. It's pretty specific. And we're going to get to this in the next chapter, uh, with, with chapter 11, where you have the, the woman uh, who appears in heaven, who, who runs away Right. And she runs away, it says, into the wilderness. Right. And uh, and we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk about that uh, more next time. But it's it's pretty interesting that the the number that's given there uh, is the same number as the number that you have for the, the trampling of the Gentiles and all this stuff. And, and right. so you, you have this connection where on the one hand, there's something good or sweet, which is that the, the woman gets to escape the dragon, right? And, and she's going to get to uh, be, be comforted, right? Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I'm sorry, this is actually, I mean, this is actually getting on to chapter 12. Um, she, yeah. It says she's being nourished, which is an interesting turn of phrase because that's kind of similar to the idea of eating. Um, right. But on the other hand, right, she has to go out into the wilderness. Um, yeah. She is, in some sense, an exile, um, and, and you make, you make those connections. And what the, what's, what's fascinating is that in church history, we have recorded for us that what, what you actually have is, is like what, you know, I think this is what like Epiphanius wrote or something like that, that the Christian community in Jerusalem was warned by Jesus Christ before the temple was destroyed to get out of there. And you actually had this moment where the Christians who were in Jerusalem and there was, there was a lot of them. They actually left. They got out of there. They went to a place called Pella, which becomes significant in church history for lots of reasons. And, and it actually becomes significant because of the letters that we have from John that we've read before. But they get out of there. And after they leave, the temple is destroyed. I mean, we're talking about, uh, I mean, within just a couple of years, it all happened right around the same time. Um, a couple other things happened right around the same time, including the death of the Bishop of Jerusalem, James, the brother of our Lord, um, which we'll talk about, I think tomorrow in connection to chapter 11. But, um, just historically, we, we know that there, there was something like this that happened that the, the church, um, got out of there and, you know, by God's grace, you know, we were, we were spared kind of the worst part of the disaster because most of the people in the city ended up being killed by the Romans. Uh, but on the other hand, it was a bitter thing to see, the temple destroyed and to have to go exile ourselves into the wilderness. Right. Yeah. And that, um, that, that whole episode, you, you do have, um, the, you know, when the, when the Romans came through and the, the Christian community being able to, like you said, be safe from this event, but still going through the, the trauma of processing what this means for, uh, the promises, the word of God in the Old Testament, uh, that the, the Jewish people who, even though they, uh, in many cases, were not followers of, of Christ, these are still people that they cared about. They still were being missioned, uh, had their mission to the to them there in Jerusalem, and for them to uh, see all of this this take place in such a way uh, certainly would have been been bitter for them to experience and go through. Right. And there was there was also we know, um, again, from church history. So, um, you know, like Epiphanius, Eusebius, that it was also bitter for other reasons, because when the church went over to to Pella um, and this, I think, kind of gets to what we've talked a little bit about in actually the letters of John here, 
um, that move going away to this other place en ended up occasioning a really big split in the church at the time um, that there was um, this this heresy that seemed to just really take off when, when once the church had to relocate outside of Jerusalem. Um, you know, so so like what you get in like Epiphanius, like he says, um, it says here, uh, right? Uh, he's talking about this 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 sect. So this is what Epiphanius says. He says here, this sect of Nazareans is to be found in Beroea near Colossiria and the Decapolis near Pella, and in Bashanitis at a place called Kokave, Kokave in Hebrew, for it was that place of origin since all the disciples had settled in Pella after their remove from Jerusalem, Christ having told them to abandon Jerusalem and withdraw from it because of the siege it was about to undergo. And they settled in Perea for this reason, as I've said, lived their lives there. It was from this that the Nazarene sect had its origin. So, you know, you actually get the, uh, the, the Nazareans, or, or uh, this, this sect here, um, mentioned uh, in a few places in Scripture. I mean, they come up in they come up in Acts. Um, it seems like this seems to be the uh, the group that gets mentioned um, or gets alluded to at least to a certain extent in the letters of John that we read not too long ago. So there was there was this bitterness in exile, not only just watching things be destroyed, but as we um, got kind of removed from the traditional center, um, the church becoming divided, you know, just even in the earliest years of, uh, of the church. Yeah. We, we kind of had this, uh, this, uh, this view that everything was with that the consensus of the first three or four centuries that everything was, was fine and, uh, perfectly harmonious from, from the beginning. Right. Uh, we, we, we see, you know, particularly yeah, in John, you know, Letters about the the Antichrist and uh, the the Gnostic heresies and all these uh, difficulties that they were facing from the very beginning. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, right. Even even in Revelation itself here, right. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, we we had we already have had a couple different heresies mentioned, right. Um, I mean, wasn't it the Nic the Nicolaitans, right, who right. Uh, were mentioned in the in the uh, the letter to the Ephesian church, right. Um, and then I think it was another, what was it? It was uh, to the church in Pergamum. There was the talk about, um, again, the Nicolaitans who are compared to the teaching of Balaam, right? Um, I think yeah. that, where, where was it? It was uh, the church in Thyatira. There's um, the toleration of the woman That's Jezebel and her teaching of sexual immorality, right? So, yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, it's, you know, people are like, oh, the church is so divided today. And, you know, like, let's go back to like the early church, you know, and there wasn't any division. And just like you were saying, like, that time never happened. You know, there, there, these sorts of divisions have always been going on. And, and I think in many ways, this is exactly why the book of Revelation is comforting, because you look at all the problems going on today um, in the church, in the world, um, and and you look back in Revelation, and Revelation's telling you, this isn't anything the church hasn't already gone through. This isn't anything that the Lord Jesus hasn't already seen us through. He's seen us through worse disasters than the ones we're living through right now. And that's a tremendous comfort to know that, you know, if he saw us through that, he's certainly going to see us through this too. Right. That, that's really the whole point of the book of Revelation is to, you know, give comfort to the people while they're in exile, while they are suffering in various ways. It's not just to, try to calculate a date for the end of the world or something like that, yeah. but to see behind the scenes, behind the veil, we have God is still on his throne and he's being worshipped in uh, in his presence there. And the, the angels are doing God's work and he's got his his messengers and his servants are, are still doing his will uh, as chaotic and as uh, things, as bad as things look inside and outside the church, uh, God is still the one who's, who's graciously directing and and, and guiding and present with his church, right? Even from the beginning, there's Jesus walking among the lampstands. He's there right. with his people, with these these very churches that are suffering, even if they can't can't see it. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, there is there is Christ with him through his word, through the 
uh, through the work of the Spirit and the angels and all those other other servants. Right. No, absolutely. You see that, and this is just what you see again and again. And I mean, like we talked about last time, even as scary as the uh, the first two woes, the fifth and sixth trumpet blasts were. I mean, there's seven of them, right? It's God's number. Yeah. There's angels who are the ones blowing those trumpets, right? I mean, it's, right. you see, you see Christ really over all of these things, um, as as scary as they are. Um, so you know, it's just you kind of see this again and again, and which and this is helpful that we get back to this number seven, which occurs again, seven thunders, right? Um, here right. in this chapter we just read, and even this rainbow, right? I mean, which, again, going back to Noah, so what do you have going on? Yeah, there's lots of destruction. There's lots of bad things. And, and maybe and maybe this is actually getting about um, getting at that prophecy, this, this secret prophe prophecy, which was given to the Christians to get out of there, get out of Jerusalem, because something bad was about to happen. Um, and that, you know, it wasn't understood, obviously, by uh, most people. A lot of people stayed in Jerusalem and died there. Um, in a very uh, horrendous way, but there was this this prophecy that the Christian church received, and God took care of them in the midst of all of that. God was creating something. I mean, like like with Noah, in the midst of destruction, there is recreation, new creation, um, and I, I think that's what you what you see in the church that through that destruction of the temple and all the terrible things that happened, how God blessed us and built up His church. Um, I mean, like 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 never had before well, right. only one minute left here, but, but your thoughts just on that, just how, you know, there is this rainbow at the end of the flood for the church. Right. And if you see like in the book of Acts, yeah, anytime there's, there's persecution or, or difficulty, it's just another way that God's word gets spread. The people are fleeing Jerusalem after the death of Stephen and they're bringing God's word throughout Judea and Samaria, as far as Antioch and, and on from there, Paul in prison uh, preaching and, uh, and here, of course, uh, here's John in exile in Patmos, uh, right. but still being able to, to serve and to strengthen the churches and God using uh, that, that event to bring uh, his word to the people. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, brother. Good to hear from you again. God bless you and the rest of this Eastertide. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor Mark Burkholtz, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. We're moving on to Revelation 11 next time. Already mentioned it, the two witnesses, some really cool stuff here. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.